Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of Better Off. Today on the podcast, Chris Gillibo, author of Side Hustle, From Idea to Income in 27 Days. What a side hustle can do is, you know, first of all, extra money, but also confidence, security, empowerment, uh, the sense of being able to look at something and say, I made this thing. And I've got a job. Maybe I like my job. That's great. But... I've got this other thing that I am cultivating on my own and I look forward to it. And when I get the PayPal notification that somebody has sent me money, it just feels really good. So it's a backup plan, more options. Ultimately, it's about more freedom. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. I'm Jill Schlesinger. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. We have a great treat today. Chris Gillibo. It looks like Guillebo, but it's Gillibo. He has written a book called Side Hustle, From Idea to Income in 27 Days. This guy is a New York Times bestseller. He wrote The $100 Startup. But he is a delightful guest. He is a wonderful storyteller. And he is going to help you understand that you don't need to be an entrepreneur to get another stream of income. His personal life story is inspiring It should help inspire you. The book is great. He's also the host of the Side Hustle School podcast, which you should absolutely subscribe to. But I learned a lot. I became pals with him. Yeah, we're texting each other now. That's how you know you've done a good interview. You want to text with the guy you've just interviewed. So stay tuned. Chris Gillibo. He's our guest today on Better Off. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, Chris Gillibo, welcome to Better Off. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Okay, we start the program. Very easy first question. Ready? I'm ready. What's the best financial decision you've ever made? I invested my money in going to every country in the world. When did you do that? Yeah. Well, not all of my money, but like I chose to prioritize, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It was an 11-year project, so it wasn't like one decision. That's the first thing that came to me when you asked that question. Like I, I chose to value experiences more than like you know, buying a $30,000 car like my friends were doing at the time. Let's go back a second. So you're here today because we are going to hustle up some action for Side Hustle, your book, From Idea to Income in 27 Days. And we're going to talk about the Side Hustle, but let's talk about you for a second. So give us a, a quick thumbnail of the story of your life, including why you started this project over 11 years of seeing every single country in the world. Absolutely. So quick little thumbnail. Um was a juvenile delinquent. Hold uh, it, stop. High school dropout. Hold on, juvenile well, there delinquent? there was more to it, but that's what... <laughs> uh, what did you delink? What did I delink? Um, I stole two cars. I wasn't a very good car thief because I got caught both times, basically. Did you go to jail? I did. Well, to like juvenile detention center. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, your poor parents. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they were actually good to me. It wasn't their fault. <laughs> You know, I mean, I wish at the time I blamed them. You know, at the time it was like, oh, my parents are terrible and that's why I messed up. But it was really just me. Okay. Yeah. So you got caught twice. So car thief, not a good uh, job for you. Not good at it, right? Um, That's the problem with that job. You don't really improve over time because, you know, (laughs) the the, the stakes are so high. Anyway, um, I discovered pretty early on, not just because of the juvenile delinquent thing, but uh, I was essentially unemployable. Like, not really great at working for other people. Um, Why? Are you a difficult person? You seem very nice. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I learned I was motivated. I actually like to work. Actually, I was really excited when I found something I believed in. But if I didn't believe in it, it was hard for me. Mm. Like, I had ADD. You know, I had, had some other, like, childhood issues that not related to the juvenile delinquency. Mm. But when I was 19, uh, I discovered micro-entrepreneurship, which I guess I call a side hustle now. 
And uh, micro entrepreneurship sounds like an annoying term that like it? some yeah. Idiot well, I guess what in, I mean, in, like, is I'm not. I wasn't like trying to start a business, right? right I was trying like, to. Work. I was trying to work for myself, okay. basically. So, I mean, the story was like, this is 20 years ago. New website had just come out called eBay.com. I've heard of that. Yeah, some people have. Hmm, interesting. And, uh, you know, at the time, I was working at FedEx in Memphis, Tennessee, in like the middle of the night, like loading boxes on a truck, and I got paid eight dollars an hour to do that. Mm. So eBay.com, I discovered I could sell stuff, and I made like $16 an hour the first time I tried it, and I didn't know anything about what I was doing. I wasn't what were you selling? Well, I started by selling stuff from around my apartment, you know, and that was great until I ran out of stuff to sell. But <laughs> it was a good entry point. It was my gateway. Well, like, give me an example of something you sold in your apartment. Oh, random stuff. Video games, you know, video games, clothes. Um, I had, like, Lego sets, you know, from when I was a kid, sold those, you know. And then uh, in the early days of eBay, this is a little fun fact, um, it was totally a seller's market because it was so new. Everybody's like, wow, this auction site. You could literally like go to the store and buy something and sell it on eBay and people would pay more for it because it was like that. on the internet. Right, you know? right. So that didn't last, of course, but uh, it was, for me, it was the, the thrill of it, the attraction of it, the idea that like I'm making this for myself and if I get better at copywriting, then I can probably sell more. And if I start looking at the completed auctions and see like what's being sold and at what price, and then I try to track it back and see, okay, where's the distributor? I, I really, really like that. Actually, kind of fell into that. So to fast forward a bit, I did stuff like that um, in a variety of ways for um, just about eight years. And as part of that time, I lived overseas in West Africa as an aid worker. Really, and my side hustles allowed me to do that basically, and I had a you know great experience there, transformative, life changing, all that kind of stuff, and uh, eventually came back to the U.S. Uh, and started a new career, a new project of going to every country in the world. When you were in West Africa, and I mean that's obviously pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, was it fun for you? Was it hard for you? What, what, give give me like a description yeah. of like like how long were you there? Four years. Wow. Four years. Two thousand two to two thousand six. Uh, I don't know if fun is the word, uh, but I loved it. Rewarding. Yeah, rewarding. It was incredible. Like I was just working in logistics. Like I had no real skills. You know, I had a degree in sociology by that point, but that also means you're unemployable. You know, which was convenient. You know, given my personality, <laughs> but I was doing logistics. I ended up actually like representing the organization to the host governments we were working with, and so I ended up with all these responsibilities uh, at a young age, which was good. And I had this little office. And the doctors on the ship were doing cataract surgery, among other things. And I could see, like, an old man who's, like, you know, 70 years old, like, walk down the hallway from my office. And, like, he's on somebody's arm because he can't see. A few hours later, he, like, walks back on his own and he can see. It's amazing. So I'm like, this is, like, most of the time with charity stuff, you don't really get to see the direct results Mm -hmm. of what you're doing. But I could, like, load up medical supplies in my Land Rover and drive, like, six hours into the hinterland and deliver them to a clinic that had nothing. And so it was... Like I said, fun is not the word, but it was it was amazing, and I feel very grateful for that experience. So when you decided you were going to start to go to every, I mean, you might would have said like, "Let me do every continent." Sure. Right, because that would have been a little bit easier on yourself. Yeah. Do, you, so, do you like to make lists? Are you a list maker? Uh, I am. Okay. Um, but I'm just thinking that like every country feels daunting. But but you, how did you feel when you did that? Okay. Was that like well, exciting? Well, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you used that word, daunting, because. I didn't begin with that vision to go to every country when I had been to like three countries. You know, I I had this experience of being in West Africa and those are some challenging countries to kind of travel in just logistically. And I was a list maker. And so I was always making lists of my to-dos and my tasks, my ideas, my business ideas, my life ideas, whatever. And so I had a list of the countries I'd been to. One time I was traveling in in Eastern Europe. I had a train. This is like, you know, before cell phones were were ubiquitous and I didn't have internet. So I made a list of all the countries. It's like 30 countries I'd been to. And I was like, I want to set a goal to go to 100. 
because I was always big on goal setting too. So travel, love of travel, love of lists, goal setting, going to go to 100 countries. As I got closer to achieving that goal, at first it was like 100 countries sometime in my life, you know, right. no deadline. Yeah. But then I realized it's actually not that hard to do. Real. Well, no, I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of small countries, lot of small in, countries in, in Europe. In Europe, you know, in the Caribbean, even in Southeast Asia, it's not hard to get, you know. So it's like the real challenge is, you know, to basically double up and to go, it's not just twice as many, it's that there's no exception to it. Because with 100, if you, if you run into a difficulty somewhere, you just go somewhere else. How many hmm. are there? 193. Total? There's 193 mm-hmm. countries in the world, yeah. and you had already done 100 by what in your 20s, 30s? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I began officially began the quest around like country number 70. The first half of it was completely private. I think that's important to mention. Like, I didn't have any public profile. I wasn't writing about it. There was no business model. I didn't even have a Facebook profile. Like, it was just my personal thing. Like, I really love the idea of it. Right. But then things kind of changed about halfway through uh, when I started a blog, The Art of Nonconformity. That was initially to chronicle that journey. I'm like, hey, everybody, I'm going to go to every country in the world. going to set a deadline by my 35th birthday. I thought that was important. Like every good goal has a deadline. And I'm going to start sharing about it. So I started sharing about the journey. And that just that led to so many other things that I had no idea. You know, this, this conversation that we're having now is a result of that decision basically 10 years ago to, to share my work with the world. I hate to do this to you. Because it's probably like a boring question, but I'm interested. What's my favorite country? Well, I want to say that I don't like to do number one, but I'm like, let's do like top five. Okay. Where you're like, holy smokes, this this blew my mind. Okay. And it doesn't have to be the place where you had the most fun. Yeah, yeah. But just like the whole experience yeah. of being there. No, I like I, I like those parameters because um, I think travel is very contextual. Yeah. You know, and you can go to an amazing country and have a miserable time or Absolutely. vice versa, right? So I'm going to pick South Africa. Oh, I was me there too. for several months, and it was really great. You know, yeah. I loved it, loved it. Uh, while we're still on that content, continent, I'm going to pick Liberia just because I lived there for a year right after a civil war, and actually really remarkable to see like the hardship, but also some mm. transformative stories of people just kind of making it. You know, yeah. and like we're talking more or less about entrepreneurship today, like roughly speaking. And the interesting thing about Liberia or lots of other parts of the world is that everybody's an entrepreneur. They don't go around like waving this flag like I am a small business owner. Right. But that's what they do because there's no formal economy. Right. Like, they're just hustling one way or another. And so I, I like that. Um, Australia, totally different context and part of the world. Just love Australia. I could live there. Which city? I would live in Sydney, actually. Excellent. I like Melbourne, but I, I would live in Sydney myself. No, let me know. I've got relatives there. Good. Aunt, yeah. uncle, cousins. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I'll we hook have you relatives up. in good places. Yeah. That's good. Um, that's why we've done three so far. Yeah. Uh, I'll pick Laos or Laos in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a little bit off the beaten track, you know. Nothing wrong with Thailand or Cambodia, but I like there. And then I don't know. We got to pick one country in Europe. What would Do you it. pick? Uh, I would put not. It's not a European country, but uh, I would put Turkey. Okay, I love yeah. Turkey. Sure, sure. Well, I Turkey had... is European and Asian, depending exactly, on what part you're in. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So I, I thought that my mind was going to explode when I was in yeah, Turkey. I was so into it. I'm not as big into. I mean, I liked China. It wasn't, I like Shanghai. Like, okay. I'm a city person sure, sure. also. I like Singapore and Hong Kong a little bit better than yeah. mainland China myself. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, Hong Kong's fun. It's sort of like the Wild West a yeah. little bit. I guess that, like, in Europe, I would have to, you know, city-wise, I've lived in London, so it's like right. like New York to me, so right. it's kind of like homish. And, you know, Italy. I just want to eat. I just want to eat. Sure. That's all I want to do. It doesn't. All right, let's get back to you. <laughs> Who cares about me? Chris, why did you write this book, Side Hustle? So I learned over time, not everybody is like me, right? Not everybody is unemployable. Well, not um, everybody is a failed car thief. Well, that too. Think also, about that. But that's the next book, you mm-hmm. know. 
This is, uh, so last year I had another book out. I did a tour to 30 cities. It was really interesting because I had this whole message about like how to find the work you were born to do. And um, I noticed that people responded disproportionately to this whole part of having a side hustle. I talked about that for like one minute of my 30 minute stump speech. It's the only thing people cared about. Really? Like 50% of the questions afterwards were like, wait a minute, can you tell me more about that? And interesting. You know, I've been writing about this side hustles, you know, for eight years in different ways. But I do feel like there's just this renewed interest in it. And, and so I really was like, I do a lot of different stuff. I'm kind of all over the map. I have ADD. But uh, I wanted to focus on this. And so I was like, this year, I'm going to write the side hustle book. I'm going to do a 100-city tour. I have a podcast, you know, where every single day Plug I'm it. telling a story. Sure, it's called Side Hustle School. Seven days a week, nice. 10 minutes a day. I love this book. Okay, truth be told, I sort of like got the book. Mark gives it to me. I'm like, mm -hmm. this guy sounds kind of interesting. I saw the book and I'm like, nah, this is going to suck. Yeah. I literally Fair thought enough. that. I mean, a lot of books. A lot of books suck. suck. You yeah. know that, yeah, right? Of course. I'm reading this. Dude, look at the amount of like page. You that actually I have read this book. Uh -huh, That's very impressive. Uh -huh. And look wow. at this. Like I I'm circling things. A lot of hosts things. don't read the book. So also, thank you. First of all, the reason why I like it is that I can completely relate to this idea of mm. like, I kind of love the idea of us. I mean, I am evidence of this, right? Mm. So I have like sort of a main job and a bunch of side hustles. Great. And so what I also really enjoyed was the fact that you didn't put the pressure on to make this like you have to be an entrepreneur and yep. develop your Harvard Business School plan right, and right. go get venture funding and da da da. That's so much pressure. In fact, you probably shouldn't actually. Right. Right. It's more than just you don't have to do that, and you probably shouldn't do that. And, so, yeah. and and in this economy, which is is strange right now because it's sort of sort of strong, but not yeah, really. It's a strange economy. Like the stock market's going up, but yet people have still feel all this anxiety and uncertainty. And the 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 job market is not strong. Like regardless of of numbers, it's really interesting because people feel feel a lack of security. And so, what can a side hustle do to relieve that anxiety? Do you think? Yeah. So I don't think I gave you a, a good answer before. I didn't give you a complete answer of like, why I did this? You know, this book is not for entrepreneurs. This book is for people out there who have day jobs and are busy and they don't have a lot of time, but they love the idea of investing in themselves somehow. Maybe that's why they're listening to the show right now. And what they need is a blueprint, right? They need to know like step-by-step, step, how do I actually do this? Because maybe I tried it before and I failed. Uh, or maybe I'm like on the outside looking in, see other people that are doing this, um, but, you know, what should I do? Should I go and participate in the gig economy? Like, absolutely not, in my opinion. But we can we can come to that. Like, you, okay. should, you should create an asset for yourself, which is what this, this book is about. What a side hustle can do is, you know, first of all, extra money. That's great. Let's Love just start it. with that, right? But also confidence, security, empowerment, uh, the sense of being able to look at something and say, I made this thing. And I've got a job. Maybe I like my job. That's great. Maybe I don't like my job, but that's that's what it is for now. You know, I need that for my mortgage, you know, et cetera. I've got this other thing that I am cultivating on my own and I look forward to it. And when I get the PayPal notification that somebody has sent me money, it just feels really good. So it's a backup plan, more options. Ultimately, it's about more freedom. And, you know, I love the idea of freedom because so often, you know, we do calls on this show. So people will call in and we'll talk about this. And I always say, like, well, you know, if you just do this, you'll have more freedom or you'll have opportunity. And I think that that's the part of the side hustle mm -hmm. that's so appealing to me in that, yes, you know, you can make a great living working for a company. There's awesome benefits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm the first one to remind everyone, like, don't just walk away from your job because right, there's right. like some great stuff you're getting. Right. But also a sense of control. Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting. Um, we recently interviewed Tim Harford from the Financial yeah, Times. Yeah, right. And um, I was asking him about you know, how did he start writing books? Because he's so incredibly prolific. Mm -hmm. He goes, you know, I had a job. 
And I really liked it. It was fine. He goes, but on the side, I was writing this book called The Undercover Economist. It was so, it was like so pleasurable. And he goes, you know, when I had a crappy day at work, not that that was every day, but if I had a crappy day, I could go home and I could write 500 words and exactly what you said, Mm -hmm. feel like I had done something Mm -hmm. for me. And he didn't even think about monetizing it. He just was doing it because he Mm -hmm. needed an outlet. And I think that's also a piece of this that's yeah, really a important. creative outlet, doing something that's different apart from your from your day job, for sure. So you made a little, took a shot at the gig economy. Sure. So what's the difference between being part of the gig economy mm-hmm. versus exploring a side hustle? Right. So, I mean, first things, I think the side hustle phrase is kind of, you know, ubiquitous in the culture and people are talking about it all the time, but they have different definitions about it. So some people might talk about the gig economy as like, this is my side hustle. Um, I think the problem with, with that is driving for Uber, driving for Lyft, something like that, TaskRabbit, you know, Airbnb, all that kind of stuff. It's like a part-time job. Nothing wrong with having a part-time job. Like we've all done that in our lives at different points. But all those things that we just talked about, security, backup plan, freedom, none of those things really exist there. With Uber, you can set your own schedule. Good benefit. It is good. Yeah. But your income is capped. You know, there's competition. Uh, You're relying entirely on their platform, their ecosystem. They can take that away at any time. Mm. Whereas with something that you're creating for yourself, like the income is unlimited. You can go in lots of different directions. You can do all kinds of different things. There's just so much more creativity as well, to to your point. So that's my my, my kind of beef about that. I don't think it's terrible. I just think people shouldn't think of it as being an entrepreneur, which is kind of how Uber pitches it. Uber is like, this is going to be like your gateway to freedom. And not really. You're just driving people around. You're performing a service. Nothing wrong with that, as I said. But it's not what I'm trying to help people do. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with Chris Gillibo in just a minute. But here's a big question. Are you getting as much as you can from your investments? It might be something that bugs you constantly. Or, hey, maybe it's been a while since you thought about it. Either way, it can be difficult to figure out. Enter Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor, They now offer a free investment review, which helps you assess your investment accounts, tax strategies, fees, and risk exposure. See what you're doing well and how you can improve and get a better picture of what you can expect from Betterment. No sign-up required. Visit Betterment.com slash BetterOff to start your free five-minute investment review today. That's Betterment.com slash BetterOff. And now, back to Chris Gillibo. So what also interested me is that in reading the book, and you tell all these really wonderful stories, that it seemed that there were a lot of times where people were doing something at work. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm doing something that seems valuable to others Mm -hmm. in my workplace. And that was the germ of the idea of the side mm-hmm. hustle. So can okay. you talk a little bit about that? Some of those stories like, yeah, you know, I was thinking about that was teaching people how to use software. Oh, the database uh, guy. Yeah, the da- maybe, right. Yeah. The database guy. And yeah, he's like he's teaching- a database administrator. Actually, right. I just met him last week in Colorado at the book event. Uh, awesome. I did. His name is Dan and he, he works for a hospital. He's a database administrator. And uh, his first side hustle was uh, tutoring people who need, need help with a specific software, Microsoft Access. And that was great. He was making like 60 to $80 an hour, you know, doing tutoring. But then he learned of a second need through that process. Uh, some people actually, you know, were connected to companies or organizations that needed custom jobs, essentially. So part of the, the whole fun thing about a side hustle is sometimes it can lead you to something even greater than what you initially imagined, mm-hmm. you know. Tutoring 
it's it's great, you know, but it's it's not that original of an idea, right? But he followed that, and then that led him to something greater where he actually is creating more of an asset. And then there is the woman who is at the Waldorf School. And by the way, I have a funny story about the Waldorf School. Mm-hmm. So my girlfriend, like, grew up with someone in, like, in their neighborhood, and they were sent to a Waldorf School. Mm-hmm. And the famous quote was, she's getting a really great experience, although she doesn't know how to spell. Oh, great, great, <laughs> right, right. She's learning, she's learning all that right-brain thinking, you know, all that creativity. So this woman worked at the Waldorf <laughs> School developing... You can learn that later, I guess. I yeah. know, whatever, it's mm-hmm. fine. We have spell check now. Right. I'm sure she's fine. Yeah, does anybody know how to spell these days, right? I mean, Believe me, you know, no. Right. So when she was doing, developing uh, like curriculum uh-huh. and and that was something that she then leveraged right. into. And so I uh-huh. just think that's kind of cool. Like I worked with a guy at CBS and uh-huh. early on he was clearly like the only human being at CBS News who knew about social media. Uh-huh. Right. He really was. He was like, and this yeah. was not that long ago. Right. So the, <laughs> not, don't, too, don't, not too shocked. Right. Exactly. I'm outing myself and the organization. <laughs> Sorry. So I, I pulled him aside and I'm like, dude, can you like hook me up? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll pay you. Right. He's like, what do you mean pay me? Right. And I'm like, because <laughs> you have this knowledge. Right. Valuable skill, valuable knowledge that's in demand. People want to know. Right. right. Old farts like me <laughs> need this. Come do it. And so he was like, I can't take money. Well, I plied him with vodka, so that was good. So okay, for you gave a while, something, I some gave, compensation. Yeah, but then right. he started to take money. It was fine. Good for him. Good. But meanwhile, he's like our he's like our secret weapon. Yeah, like Mark exactly. and I use him. Like we're taking him out to dinner, and I'll yeah. give him some money on the side. Like help me do this and that. Right, and like right. so now he's left CBS, but he is more interested in sort of saying like maybe that should be my side yeah. hustle. Well, good for him, and and good point as well. Like. Uh, a big thing of what I'm trying to show people is to use the skills you already have, right? Don't necessarily go out and don't learn to make an app. Don't learn to code if that's not your thing. Everybody wants to make an app. You know, how do I make an app? I'm like, are you a developer? Nope. Do you know how to write code? Nope. Well, don't do that. Right? Like, <laughs> let's start with the skills you have. The whole program here is like idea to income in 27 days. You're not going to learn to code and make an app in 27 days if that's not what you've done before. But you've got the skill. You've got this thing that's in demand. The Waldorf teacher, what she did essentially was create curriculum that other teachers could purchase to make their lives easier, like to help them save time, be more efficient, and maybe even teach somebody to spell at some point. So what if someone's listening and they're like, I want a side hustle. I love this guy. Chris is the man. Great. I have no ideas. You have a smattering of ideas, which Mm -hmm. I love because it sort of gives, it takes people off the hook. Like, I'm not creative. Help me. Yep. Give me some of those ideas. Well, people have one of two problems. The first problem is what you just identified. I don't have an idea. Second problem is I've got an idea, but I don't know what to do next, right? So what I'm trying to do with with the book and the whole plan is show people the answers to both those problems. So I can give people ideas. And in in fact, I do. Like there's, you know, 48 ideas you can steal, beg, borrow, or steal, you know, from, from the book. But what I think is more valuable is to actually show people where ideas come from. Like, where, where do side hustle ideas come from that are good ideas, that are viable, they're valuable? If you can acquire this skill, which you, you probably didn't learn in school, but is not that difficult to learn, um, it can serve you for the rest of your life. So I think that's the most valuable thing. Can I give some of the sure. side hustles that are fun, which I love? Sell your art, crafts, or any handcrafted item on Etsy. Easy. Easy, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't require much expertise to list it. If you've never used that website, you can register today and put something up. I like offer online tutoring services in your field of expertise. Everybody does have a field of expertise. Right. They don't, I think that a lot of people discount the, the expertise they have. Yeah, I say everyone's an expert at something. Yeah, right? it may not be interesting to anyone else, but, you know, no, <laughs> right, I'm just right. kidding. And so on that point, like people think tutoring, okay, that sounds great. Where do I do it? Well, there are platforms, there are sites, there are networks that you can do all these things. There's a whole list of them. Go on. I like buy and sell used textbooks to college students. Those they still expensive. need those? Those are expensive. They Apparently st- they do. Apparently they do still read in college. I like this one. 
create and sell a visitor's guide to your town or city or build a web resource for tourists mm-hmm. supported by advertisers. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I number love of that. Have done that. Yeah, I sure. love that one. All right. Here's one. Start a podcast and sell sponsorship. All right. That's harder. I mean, it's a little bit. No, I think that I think starting any, you know, any knucklehead. Look at us. We're two knuckleheads. We have a we have podcasts, right? Yeah. Do you have sponsors? I do. Yeah, me too. I don't know how it happened. So, but I, but you know, the funny thing is, I feel like that one part of the side hustle that you don't necessarily really talk about in like an explicit way, but is really important no matter what, is that you do have to sell your idea. Sure. That can mean you have to sell it to people who want it. Mm -hmm. So I think you cover that, but to monetize it. You may have to actually sell. And I think so many people are really uncomfortable right, with that. Right, right. So how do we get them over that? Well, I have this model called sell like a Girl Scout. Okay. What I mean by this is I live in Portland, Oregon. You've been to Portland, you said. I love it. Yeah. Probably like this in, in New York too, although for some reason I see it more there. Like you walk down the street and pretty much everywhere you go, you're kind of accosted by these street canvassers. They're trying to raise money for their cause, and often they're representing very good causes. Yeah. But I hate this process. Hate it. I, it's, I feel like it's manipulative. I feel like it's it's marketing by guilt. And they know it, too. Like they, That's why they have to like call, you know, they have to like give you a big smile and like, you're looking great today. I'm like, yeah, I know you just want my money, basically. So anyway, I hate that process. By the way, you look great today. Thank you. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I learned to never ask questions when someone compliments you. You know, you just go with it. There's a whole story about that we could get to later if you want. Anyway, street canvassers. Um, Meanwhile, you know, every Girl Scout cookie season, Girl Scouts are setting up shop, little table in front of the drugstore. Mm-hmm. People are walking by. Their whole pitch is, would you like to buy some Girl Scout cookies? Right. That's it. I mean, like, it's not much to it. You right. Know? And what happens? You buy them. Everybody buys They're them. They're so cute, though, those girls. Yeah. You think it's the prop? I think it's the cookies, to be honest. I mean, maybe the cookies the are good. Yeah. So the whole goal is like, how can you put yourself in a position of marketing like a Girl Scout instead mm-hmm. of a street canvasser? Yeah. Because they're both selling, but right. one of them is kind of icky. Yeah. And one of them is kind of awesome. So. How do you do it? So you make something that you make something that people want and you find those those people. And you, you find know? where they are. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so you you know, I have this this lesson about take your take your customer, your imaginary customer to imaginary coffee. And you really figure out who these people are and it's not so much about a target market. I don't like that. I feel like that's a very startup y kind of thing. And, you know, like when I started my blog, like I remember this like eight years ago, I would talk to publishers, like, who's your target market? And they want me to say like women age 35 to 39, mm. you know, with a college degree or whatever. And I would say my target market is people who want to change the world. And they're like, that's not a target market, you know? Really? It's like a psychographic, you know? Uh-huh. But anyway, so focusing on finding those people who can really, really benefit from what you have to offer. And then it's like you're a Girl Scout, right? You're like, I've got this thing. You know what's funny? Mark and I were at a meeting recently. And we were talking with uh, a big company, like a potential sponsor. And they were saying, what's the secret sauce of a successful (laughs) podcast? Which is awesome. I mean, everybody wants to know that. And Mark's sort of like, well, you have to have good content. You know, because we're old-time radio people, right? right? So right. we like spoken word. You actually we like were... quality. It's right. a strange thing. Hence, yeah. hence, we're in like a big studio wow. in a big broadcast center, mm-hmm. right? We're not in some tinny computerized Yeah, you do thing. this thing called editing. Right. You know, like you do preparation. These, yes. These kind of new concepts. So we talked about that. And then I said, you know, and you have to have a compelling guest. Sometimes your audience doesn't know that they're interested in Chris. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating is that that seemed like they were like, mm, yes, mm-hmm. that's so interesting. That's funny. Right? Yeah. 
But that's really sometimes the simplest sure, sure. answer is mystifying to people. Right, right. It's like asking what's the secret sauce to anything, pretty much. It's like, well, you you work hard, you do a good job, you improve along the way, you figure out what people want, and you give it to them. Right, and I think also you listen to them because mm-hmm. it sounds to mm-hmm. me like because you have such great interaction with your mm-hmm. audience mm-hmm. and with the people you've talked to about side hustles, you have a lot of feedback. Yep. So it's like you're developing your own algorithm. Like yeah. I well, now know how to do this. All my work has been informed by my community, like one way or another. And it's really interesting. I mean, not to not to sidetrack, but when I had my first book out, I went to all 50 states. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to do an unconventional book tour. I'm going to meet my readers wherever they are. Yeah. It could be like four people in West Virginia, which there were, but they came out, uh-huh. you know? Okay. All along the way, I'm meeting these like people who started little businesses and they had this totally different model. Doing It wasn't like anything what Silicon Valley was talking about, what Shark Tank and those kind of shows were talking about. That's how I wrote the previous book called The $100 Startup. It was, you know, I, if I hadn't had those interactions, I wouldn't have written that book, which was reflective of a lot of people in society. So now you've written a bunch of books, which yeah, is- but this is the best one though. It is it? Yeah, I think so. How come? I will say, not that the easiest is the best, but for me, this was the easiest process. Like I knew exactly what I wanted to do with this book. Mm-hmm. And it was just a matter of figuring out how to, how to do it. Whereas with some other books, I've had to go through this discovery process and this exploration of like, how do I take this big message and then distill it, et cetera. This is very practical. You know, this is like step by step, 27 days, do this on day one, do this on day two, et cetera. It's fabulous in that respect, for sure. Um, here's one thing that I circle in red pen, the profit equation. Hmm. Do you know why? Wow. It's so simple. Mm-hmm. People really, I mean, I'm a numbers person. Sure. Sometimes people will say to me, like, I can't do this. I'm bad at math. Mm-hmm. For the record, I'm bad at Whatever. math. Whatever. You can't learned, do calculus. Never learned algebra. Never learned algebra, but go on. Okay. But really, this is adding and subtracting. Yes, exactly. That's, okay. what, that's, that's so, my point. So here it is. I love your, um, the first thing, the secret to turning a profit for any business or venture, whether it's a side hustle, renting out cars, or a multinational corporation boils down to one basic principle. Don't spend more money than you take in. Also with your personal financial life. Mm -hmm. Hello, right? Okay. That's kind of profound, I know. Mm, I love it though. (laughs) Here is your profit equation. Ready? Everyone, expected income minus expected expenses equals projected profit. See, you did not need to go to Harvard Business School or Wharton. Saved you some money there, $60,000. The book is only 25 bucks. It's a good investment as far as I'm concerned. There's just like really easy things about projections. You don't Mm -hmm. have to be a spreadsheet king or queen. And that's what I love about this. I just, I so enjoyed the the concept that like, why are we Mm overcomplicating the the process? I appreciate you saying that. I mean, that's, that's a goal to simplify. You know, I'm not using the word easy. I just want to be clear. Like, I actually think you have to work for something that's important to you. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that everything is easy in life for this process, but it's it's simple. I've tried to reduce the complexities. I've tried to say, okay, just if you just do this, then you can get to a basic level of success, which is what I hope people will do. Before we go, two more things. You say you're not a good employee. True. Why do you think that? I'm not a good employee or a good manager. I think... You know, if I go back to those years in West Africa, because there's probably some hyperbole to this, like not a good employee, and I realized that. I, I was actually working with an organization then. You know, I was working for free, but it was for an organization. I can't just do all that stuff myself. I'm not a medical person. I, I loved that job. You know, I loved everything about it. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, I have to just really believe in, in the vision. And if I believed in the vision of the right company or the organization, then I could probably succeed in that environment. But at this point in my life, I've just done, I've just done my own stuff for so long. Like, I can't imagine, like, what's going to happen if I ever stop, you know, writing books and connecting with my audience, which I love to do. But let's say some big company 
said, you and your yellow sneakers, mm-hmm. you're coming with us. We're going to pay you a pile of money, <laughs> and you're going to basically do side hustle school inside of our organization. And is that something that sounds horrible to you or appealing to you or somewhere in between? I would do it as a visitor. I would go in mm-hmm. and speak to their employees. I would love to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, would I do it as an employee? No. Really? No. You wouldn't sell out? Like, what if someone's looking at gobs know, of I, money? I don't know if it's about selling out. I mean, I'm, I no objection to making money, of course. No, 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 but I'm just saying that if someone put it. a pile of money in front of you and said, well, you got to do this for two years, you got to hang with us for two years if you want all that money. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I guess it's like a hypothetical, but my, my response, my initial like gut reaction is no, no. Like, there's, really no there's really no interest in it. It's like, funny. I, love, I really feel fortunate. I feel like I have, for someone who's unemployable and unemployed, more or less, you know, I, I feel like I have the greatest job in the world. I honestly, every day, I'm so excited to, to do what I do. Before you leave, What's the worst financial decision you've ever made or career decision? Yeah, great question. I think I actually told this story in in this book, which I've never told before. When I was, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 or something, there was some, you know, ridiculous offer that I heard about, which in retrospect, I realized is like, I don't know, some pyramid scam or something. But at the time, it seemed compelling. And it was just like, if you you invest some money, if you send us $2,000, then I don't know, you know, you're going to make those gobs of money that you mentioned. And I did it. And I didn't have a lot of, like, I had like maybe $3,000 in my savings account. I spent $2,000, uh, sent it in. Basically, nothing nothing ever happened. Like, months went by, and you're supposed to start getting royalty checks. You know, and interestingly enough, at like month three or four, they started sending checks, but they were for like 2 to $3. Or one month, it was like 6 I think it was basically to kind of make you think something else is coming, which it did. It worked, you know, because like the first two months, I'm like, oh my God, did I waste my money? And then like month three, I've got $3. I'm like, oh, okay, it's going to be okay because eventually all the money's... Anyway, obviously nothing ever happened with that. I felt so bad. I felt so bad over and over and like finally had to just let that go and say that was a stupid thing. It's not going to control the rest of my life. I just have to... I got to move on and not do that again. Now that you have achieved all this success... Are you feeling a little bit like, yeah, you you obviously seem very blessed. You're sharing. Sure. It's all fantastic. Is there anything that scares you as, as you look ahead? Is there something that like makes you worried about your own financial future because it's all on you? Or do you, you know, how, how are you feeling right now? Yeah. Um, there are things that scare me. There are things that are not wonderful or fantastic for sure. Um, I think those are more in like, you know, the personal department or the wellness department in the we'll career. We'll get to that next time. Oh, sure. Next next episode. Mm. Um, career-wise, um, I, I feel really good. Like I said, I feel good to be doing this. I feel like it's helping people, and that, that matters a lot to me. Chris Gillibo. His book is Side Hustle, From Idea to Income in 27 Days. Go check out his podcast, Side Hustle School, which is awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. Thanks so much to Chris Gillibo. What a great interview. What a great guy. Go buy the book, Side Hustle, From Idea to Income in 27 Days, and go subscribe to his podcast, Side Hustle School. Don't forget, we've got our bonus episode that comes out on Tuesdays and the longer form every single Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag BetterOff. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. That's Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. BetterOff is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.